5: Hey, you're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is Matt Tebbe. I'm joined by Ben Sternke. Hey, Ben.
0: <laughs> hey. What's this voice we're doing here? This is like, hey, I'm, hey. It's my, I'm, it's kind I'm of like trying a out, sing-songy radio voice. I'm trying out a radio voice. You're listening to. You're listening to. Gravity Leadership. Gravity.
5: Uh, hey, may the fourth be with you, Ben.
0: May the, and also with you.
5: Yes. It's very liturgical.
0: Boom. It is. It is. It is. It's fun. <laughs> This is a fun a fun little uh, holiday. I, I get a little thrill of joy every time I just say it. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th. Because it feels like I'm lisping. May the 4th be with you. It's like, that's too many. Anyway.
5: You know what it reminds me? It reminds me, May the 4th always reminds me that my favorite May holiday is coming very closely. Oh, what on is On the it? heels of it. Cuatro mm-hmm. de Cinco.
0: Cuatro de Cinco, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, an obscure <laughs> Arrested Development uh, joke for those of you who watched that show. Quite uh,
5: well, today on uh, this Star Wars holiday, we are bringing you a convo between uh, the Reverend Doctor David Fitch and our crew. I think you were there, Ben, for a bit. I was there. You I had, had to leave. I had
0: to leave early. Um, hopefully, it's not uh, apparent in the uh, files, but I had to leave early. And then so, I think I was there too, for part of it was around yeah. two in. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, Fitch and I have gotten into uh, discussions on social media about
0: mm-hmm.
5: uh, the way... About social media. About social media and what how do yeah. we engage in conversations and what's helpful and what just creates unhealthy antagonisms. And uh, mm-hmm. Fitch and I disagree about this and we decided... But we're also really good friends. So we decided to just have a conversation where we disagreed and then put it out as a podcast. So that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Yeah. Um, and It's I, a debate. I'm, well... No, um, it's just, a, I mean, we're trying to get, I think both of us want to be faithful. Like, sure. that's just it. Like, yeah. I can disagree yeah. with anybody whose heart is to want to be faithful and who will mm-hmm. learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's always the yeah. posture Fitch has with us. So, right on. this is about how to disagree and what disagreements or contention uh, is healthy and then what is antagonistic and demonic and how to know the yeah. difference.
0: How to know the difference. That's, it feels like an important question. So. Uh,
5: it does feel like that, doesn't it? It does. Do we have anything else to announce? I don't think so.
0: I don't think so, uh, except except just to say probably that um, we're always starting, uh, we start, maybe we start Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts um, uh, maybe once every five weeks. We're trying to do like once a Mm -hmm. month or so. We just kind of uh, collect interest and, you know, um, get get a cohort started. But... um, but yeah, we're always uh, we're always starting new cohorts, and there actually is a new uh, cohort that most of our cohorts take place during the day, during mm-hmm. during a weekday, uh, if you live here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, we have people that have their job schedules and that kind of thing. Um, they need an evening cohort, and um, we yep. are in the process of pulling one of those together. So if that's I just you, sent an email
5: out about that, by the way. We, we've got yeah. a coach that's somewhat, well, sometimes it's hard- to find a coach to lead an evening cohort, but let me right, uh, maybe I'll make right. this announcement now. Uh our, our co host, Christy Finley, okay. is gonna be leading an evening um, cohort for us. Yeah. And uh I gotta tell you, you you do not want to miss being in a cohort with Christy. Christy's she's, a baller. She's a powerhouse. Yeah. She's awesome. So all that to say, she'll be leading that cohort and yeah. it's forming now. We have a few slots left, so hit us up.
0: Yeah, totally. So that's another, I'm glad you said that because that's another reason people, you might not need an evening cohort, but you might just want to be in a cohort with Christy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, because and she's great. So do evenings. So, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> right. just email us uh, at podcast at gravityleadership.com. If you would like more information about that, we'll hit you, um, li- hook you up with Gino uh, Kirkerudo, who's our community liaison. Yep. And we'll go from there. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Here's Fitch and Matt fighting. No, just joking. <laughs>
5: Dr. David Elmer Fitch, welcome back to the podcast.
0: That's your middle name, Elmer?
2: It is my middle name. It's a sacred middle name. Ah. It goes all the way back to my grandfather okay long history there don't make fun of the elmer
0: i, I won't i had no intention you know i, I just, named uh, my I kid that's what e name my for. kid
2: elmer and he won't ran said he's got to go by his middle name max yeah and i said he won't, he won't son be proud of the elmer it's a long tradition elmer.
0: It might be <laughs> yeah. a generation too early to name kids elmer at this point so at but some point anyway no, more
2: i pride myself in being early on everything <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes, the early adapter par excellence, David Fitch joins us again. Um, we're we're joined by Christy too. Hey, Christy.
1: Hi, it's good to see you, Dave. It's been Hi, like Christy. 10 it's been a hundred years. years. Yes, yes. We only see each other on social media. It's not enough. And so it's good to see your face.
2: Uh, it is. It is. This is better than nothing. You know. Yeah. That's right.
1: Thank yeah. you, Squadcast. Uh, and
5: Ben too. You heard his dulcet tones. Um, sounding mature and responsible has always been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. I do my best.
5: Hey, we I are really in do. we are talking with our friend David um, because I think, I think we could have a generative conversation here and maybe even um, get get some sparks flying. because we are in a, I mean, we're in a cultural moment where church leaders, uh, predominantly white church leaders, are feeling all kinds of stresses and pressures. And expectations that, if they've felt them in the past, they're now heightened. Uh, So we've got, you know, we're coming off of an election and a pandemic that created a lot of division and controversy in our culture. We're in a moment when it's unacceptable for uh, most, (laughs) most of us to not be aware of the racial justice conversations that are taking place. And all kinds of things are being introduced in our culture that uh, we weren't trained in to deal with in Bible college. And so then there's this real there's this question, Dave. I want to get your take on it. Um, the question is how do I engage as a church leader or even as just as a Christian in the public sphere, I meaning not just in my home, not just in my heart, not in the secret, in the quiet place, but out in the public sphere? Without doing one of two things, without being sort of a passive, making everybody happy, uh, saying a bunch of religious cliches that don't mean anything, Um, or contributing to the vitriolic culture war where everybody takes sides and demonizes and cancels the other side, Uh, how do I advocate for justice and truth in this new reality? That's why we have David here. He's got it figured out, and he's going to let us know, David.
2: Yeah, thanks for that easy, easy question. We ought to be <laughs> able to handle that in a few moments, at least.
5: Well, what what, what does that stir up for you? As I, I mean, I, do you do you share my uh, suspicion that that's a question that's presenting itself, or would you frame uh, it a different way?
2: I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind while you're talking uh, with such eloquence, by the way. Uh, is that this is an extremely pertinent, important question. Uh, and uh, it is a demanding time to be a leader in this country for the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, by the way, this just means we all have to go to seminary. <laughs> there it is. Northern seminary, folks. There it is. Northern seminary. Uh, I really do believe seminary's got to do a whole different thing than they were doing 50 years ago when they were teaching us how to teach the right things according to a particular stream of tradition. It's a whole different ball game now. And we have to understand culture and we have to understand how it works. So I think the two uh, sides of this issue that you talk about, we got to avoid becoming passive, uh, people who try to make everybody happy, uh, but we also got to try to engage in a way which doesn't make which actually works against the gospel or actually um, uh, creates violence, damage, antagonism, hurt, and more division, not less. I think the Apostle Paul is pretty clear about this. Creating more division is of the flesh, but the way of the spirit, the way of presence, is where God can work in situations it sounds ethereal, it sounds hypothetical, conceptual. I believe it's absolutely true. So the first, the first thing I'd like to put out there for everybody to talk about is, how do we become present in the issues of our day? Racial tensions up and down the streets of my suburb, uh, which by the way, is very diverse. Uh, how do we become present amidst the sexuality crises? or confusions of our day, the gender crises, the, the economic crises, the political crises. All of these, I think, I'm getting kind of amped up here, folks, yeah. but all of these things are where God wants to work and heal the world, but he can't do it with a sledgehammer. He doesn't work that way with a sledgehammer. Yeah. And so that's the first thing we got to say.
5: Yeah, this is what I want to tease out. Um, I want to tease out what does it mean to be present and how do we be present? Uh, I have a concern of, of both sidesing, of equating like, equating like uh, injustice and people advocating for justice, that we have to be present in the same way to both. Um, but I want to hear, Christy and Ben, are you guys, are you all feeling this? Are you feeling this pressure or burden to be a know-it-all? An expert
0: on all this? <clears throat> um, I think I'm fee- I'm feeling some of that. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of uh, trepidation. I have more trepidation today, which, as a white guy, that, you know, that's probably not a bad thing. Um, but like more trepidation today than I used to have about sort of speaking out or saying things because I have this realization that I oh gosh, I don't I don't really know much about you know this stuff you know that's that's coming up. Um, and you know, a lot of the stuff is yeah stuff that I. I'm I'm learning about um, racism and you know alternative sexualities and all kinds of other stuff that I um, yeah like you said Matt wasn't trained for, um, but I do think one of the one of the things that you just said, Dave, that I I think I, I th- is worth teasing out um, is I agree with you. I think that division is you know is of the devil. It's it's the enemy's work, uh, dividing um, the dividing wall of hostility, all of that kind of thing. Um, but I've also heard that accusation aimed at, and this I think gets to what your concern is here, Matt, but I think I've, I've heard that accusation aimed at people who are advocating for justice, or people who are speaking up for the marginalized. Um, and in so doing, and just sort of saying, hey, here's what this marginalized person has said that they have dealt with, because that causes sort of bad feelings among some people, that is then... The, the accusation is leveled that you are being divisive. So you are doing the devil's work by telling the truth about what this marginalized person uh, has gone through. So how, how do you parse the difference then between the kind of division that I think you and I both agree is uh, demonic and the kind of division that is more, um, that's more just uh, the, the natural result of telling truth. the truth about yeah, what's telling happening. the truth and that making somebody upset. How, how do we parse the difference between those two things?
2: Are you are you asking me?
0: I'm I'm wondering. Yes, I'm asking mm-hmm. you, Dave Fitch.
2: Hey, uh so uh one of <laughs> my go-tos on this is uh the difference between the word antagonism and conflict. Two different words. Conflict is pretty much uh normal. Uh, if you're married, if you're single, if you're if you have children, if you're in a church, if you're if you're walking down the street smoking a cigar, anytime uh, conflict is just part of everyday life. Uh, the fact that we have disagreements, that the fact that we have um, we see things differently, is, is just uh, that's life. That's life. Oh, the first time you get in an argument with your wife after you've been married, you're surprised. Well, no, we we. Con- we have conflicts with our spouses? Uh, uh, antagonism is the uh, is the uh, it's it's actually a technical ideological word, which means we use a conflict to take sides and and aggressively uh, posture ourselves over against the other side, and we stir up animus, hate. We make that person into a detached, distant object, an enemy. By the way, jesus it's amazing how Jesus disarms these tactics, uh, these dynamics all the time with tactics. But um, I think that <coughs> in order to be a peacemaker, in order to make restoration, wholeness, lament, repentance, restoration, wholeness, all that happen, we have to enter conflicts and not do the antagonism, but be present. First things we do are we listen. We make observations. We unwind. Most, I try to tell people, uh, uh, like like we have conflicts in our neighborhood right now. I try to tell, some, I told somebody last night, that conflict probably, that person, the thing that's going on there probably has very little to do with the actual conflict. There's a history there. There's a anger there. There's a hurt, a pain, abuse, a a trauma there, can we just be there, present long enough to unwind it and allow Jesus to do what Jesus does, which convicts and illumines? Hmm. And so, so it's a different social dynamic. By the way, I believe this is the way God works for justice in the world, a different hmm. social dynamic. But antagonism is the exact opposite of it.
1: Okay. So you, you Go You said ahead, something. Yeah, you said something there that really um, I think is part of the key here, because there's been so many polar opposite arguments, like on social media, in, in living rooms, in whatever, and people haven't seen people as people. They they've looked at them as the problem instead of seeing them as. No, you're my you're my friend. And we have a disagreement. We have a conflict. And I can ask questions. I can listen. I can make observations. But instead, they're looking at the person as a problem. That's. I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. And when groups of people, when nations of people, do that, then it just causes war. And I, I in some mm-hmm. ways, it feels like that's what we've seen in our country, not like a war with guns. Um aimed at people, but a war with guns like towards their heart in the in the way that they speak and the way that they treat people.
5: Mm. All right, mm. so how then maybe, maybe, I don't know if it would help. It may help me if we took like a situation, a public situation and and David, uh, maybe to put flesh on how you see like holy conflict advocating for justice with presence, being different than unholy antagonism reifying the demonic uh, perpetuating cycle of violence. All right, I don't know if I'm using all those modifiers the way you would use them, but I'm trying to, to differentiate. It sounds like you want to contend for an engaged, active space where you're contending for justice, which will necessarily lead to conflict. And you want to differentiate that from uh, being part of feeding and sustaining uh, antagonism that mm-hmm. divides and creates enemies and scapegoats. Am I hearing you right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of stuff there, but um, but could you summarize the question in, like, one yeah. easy sentence?
5: Yeah, here's the question. Um, <clears throat> where do you see an, uh, this unhealthy antagonism at work, for instance, in the conversation about racial justice in America? Or, for instance, in uh, the Capitol insurrection on January 6th slash uh, the divide between the right and the left?
2: I mean, your question was, where do I see it? And uh, I I hesitate to start calling out, I I don't like to be the person who, uh, uh, I, I would rather talk to the person, actually, that I'm talking about than... Hey, that talk person about, when they did that, damn it, blankety blank. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, but but okay. Um, maybe
5: just pick one of pick one of the couple dozen antagonisms you've seen Ben do. And uh, <laughs> <go ahead. laughs>
2: no, so you and I have no, had I some discussions, uh, Matt, about uh, how you use uh, social media. Yeah, and um, I'm. Uh, I, so, so I, I, I love social media. I actually love the work of Facebook, Twitter. I actually do. I, I, a lot of people hate it. I it, I actually think that if I work at it, it improves me as a human being. I, I learn how not to antagonize somebody. I learn how to ask yes. good questions. I learn how to like not go, I'm going to, you know, although sometimes, frankly, uh, to be honest, it happens. Okay, it happens <laughs> a lot. Uh, but that's all part of what we in the holiness movement call sanctification. Uh, uh, so, uh, but um, sometimes when we use uh, uh, social media, I'm asking what what is that actually doing? Um, you have an audience. I have an audience. Um, my if I am if I am just kind of rallying an audience against somebody, and flaming them by maybe. Um, insulting or uh, I, I don't want to insult somebody i want to uh, make an observation and ask questions
5: yeah mm-hmm.
2: um so uh, but but frankly so much on social media is about inflaming uh getting somebody's anger off their chest and uh self-gratifying oneself through catharsis moments and uh i, I really do think we got to be different i we got to be different than that
5: This episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast is brought to you in part by Respero. Have you ever considered getting trained as a lay counselor? Respero has a way to make that happen. Respero offers the option to join a live cohort and participate in two courses led by Respero founder Joe Bishop. He has been counseling people for over 35 years. His hope is to train Respero counselors to bring healing and comfort to a broken and hurting world one Conversation at a time. If you're interested, the first step is taking the Understanding People course on Respero's website. Respero also offers courses and lessons for helping people understand themselves better or recover from grief or spiritual abuse. Respero has lessons centered on how to cope with disappointment, shame, addiction, and other topics. We believe Respero has something to offer everyone. Find them on social media at Respero Restoring Hope or online at respero r e s p e r o dot org. We hope you will join with Respero on its mission to have healing conversations with people in a hurting world.
0: Yes, uh, I you know I had a conversation with uh, Joe Bishop, founder Joe Bishop, who does all this training. Yeah, uh, and he's a delightful guy.
5: Was it healing? Was it a healing conversation? <laughs> well. <laughs>
0: it was uh it was a delightful conversation we yeah. didn't really get into any counseling stuff but um but yeah i was just i was re- as i was listening to you read that copy mm-hmm. and i was like you know what uh that uh anyway i I'd, I'd trust that guy to lead me through uh, some mm-hmm. training on being a lay counselor yeah. yes so, so anyway um yeah the we um we would encourage you guys to check it out um Rispero is uh as we've said other times uh uh not just, we don't let anybody just uh, sponsor the podcast, but we uh, we want to partner with people who are seeking to do the same kind of work that we're seeking to do. And um, I think Rispero uh, is one of those organizations. So hope you check them out.
4: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit slash academy.
5: I mean, I've, I've definitively shifted my social media presence in the last couple of years, and I've, I've done it um, at the behest. I think I'm using that word correctly. Who knows? I open my mouth and a word salad comes out. It's part of uh, the pathology of being me. At the behest of people who told me uh, it was helpful. And uh, so part of my strategy shift, Dave, to speak plainly, for instance, about racism, and then when somebody says something racist, to just say that is a racist idea rather than... Um, and, and sometimes asking, you know, where'd you get that idea? Um but, but the people who are most hurt by the racist ideas tell me that they appreciate the direct speech from somebody who's white. And so this is where I, this is where I don't under, quite understand how to escape. Like I, I, don't, I don't want to be the person that stands between the slave owner and the slave and says, hey, listen, there are bad people on both sides of this ledger here.
2: Or Donald Trump, for instance, who used to do that yeah. all the time and ameliorate, yeah. uh, uh, basically s- smooth out and make the conflict go away like, like it didn't exist.
5: Yes. I, I don't want to both sides it. You know, hey, slave, yeah. I saw you yelling at your wife today, so don't tell me that you don't like getting whipped. Uh, like, I, I don't want to do that. Um, and I think I've been prone to do that in the past. Um, trying to have this middle way where I'm above the fray and I can see the good and bad in everyone. But sometimes when a you know, when a white guy is on my Facebook page like yesterday, telling me how crazy Meghan Merkel is for experiencing racism in the royal family, and black women are spending minutes, even even half an hour of minutes trying to describe the that not believing a black woman when she talks about racism is a form of anti-blackness, uh, me being silent is, I'm, I'm, I'm have, conf- I'm conflicted about yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and right? so, how do
5: you adjudicate that?
2: Well, um uh, first thing I do is I ask myself, uh, am I saying something to make myself feel better? Or to feel like I'm on the right side, or to feel like I'm not this, either this, to feel like I'm not this complicit white person. Am I doing this for myself? That's the first question I ask myself.
5: Great. Can I pause you there? Can I pause you there? There, There's a husband that's um, abused his wife for 30 years, and um, he he is 30. It's year 31, and he raises his fist again, and uh, I go to catch his fist. But I notice that I'm actually trying to impress the battered woman. And so I don't stop his fist and he hits her. Was that a virtuous decision?
2: Um, I choose not to enter into extremely uh, excessively hypotheticals. (laughs) Uh, What I prefer to do is just say, if a man and a woman, uh, husband and wife, domestic abuse, 30 years, are sitting, and, and I'm there, I'm going to stand and be present. And, and stand between that man hitting that woman um, uh, I, I really if, do
5: but what if what if you uh, want to look good or what if somebody's going to give you a hundred bucks if you do it or what if it's not what if you're just virtue signaling to thirty people watching you
2: I don't even know how it enters into the equation but if it does it needs to be cast away
5: yeah but that's just it so Dave I so I guess for me the calculus of am I speaking on behalf of these black women when this white person is being racist towards them? Am I doing this just to look good? I don't, I don't think that's all my motivation. But, I, you know, you and I, we've talked about this. Like, we, dece- we can deceive ourselves. We're liars, and the people who believe our lies the most are ourselves. I think that's Hauerwas who said that. Um, even if I'm 100% doing it for virtue signaling, isn't stopping that fist... A greater good than virtue signaling is a bad?
2: Uh, the reason why virtue signaling is a problem is because what it ends up doing is it ends up uh, stoking the antagonism. It ends yeah, up doing the about opposite. This, I don't, I don't it, see, it ends I up don't doing the opposite of what we think we're doing. And so— um,
5: What about for that woman, though? Does she care about the antagonism or does she care about the fist?
2: Uh, do you know the woman? Have you talked to the woman? Yeah, the woman we're talking about. You should be. She's hypothetical. Th- you should. Let's be call.
5: Over. Let's call her Beatrice. Yes, I've talked to Beatrice. I know Beatrice. I, I. She's told me about this. I've been present when this guy's beat her in the past, and I've tried to say. I've tried so to reason. Put... I've tried to reason with this guy. I've tried to ask him questions about why he feels like he needs to punch her, um, and he dodges the questions and continues to hit her. And yeah. she says, "You know, what would be helpful for me."
2: Okay. This is really, okay, hypothetical. <laughs> this, is what, this is what always happens to those of us who believe in nonviolence. If a guy comes in the door with a gun and he's going <laughs> to rape your wife, are you not going to shoot him? When there was probably 50 other things I could have done before that, like lock yeah. the door?
3: Yeah.
2: Okay? Uh, I I don't want to engage in hypotheticals, but what I, what I am worried about, I'll just say what I'm worried about. Look, if you can overcome and are confident enough – uh, that I'm full of crap here. It's, it's okay, actually it's good to figure that out. And so what I worry about is that we use these terms extracted from real situations and now the term racism actually loses its, uh, its value of actually discerning a sin in people's lives and in society's systemic ways. And now we start hurling it like a third ideological concept because we're so busy calling this and this and this uh, in an accusation that's extracted from discipleship. So my one complaint, my one problem is, um, and this is the proneness of social media, is... Are we actually going to lose the ability to discern racism by making it a, uh, an antagonistic war?
5: Yeah. Yeah, so I hear a macro concern uh, that you have, that if we continue to enter into these uh, micro uh, antagonisms, that eventually what will happen is we'll be unable to address the problem because racism will become meaningless, kind of like uh, critical race theory is maybe now. It's just a empty signifier that we project our fears on, and I guess my I'm looking at it from the other direction. Um, like um, again, uh, th- this isn't hypothetical, by the way. Like this black woman who's taking grief from this white guy on Facebook. Um, if I were to, if she DM me and was like, "Hey, it'd be great if you spoke up," and I said, "But if I did, then at some point racism would lose its meaning." Um, if I did what you wanted me to do in this situation. Uh, on the macro level it 's not good for everybody um, i i, I can't, uh, my my conscience won 't let me do that Dave well tell me what i 'm missing
2: again um, i don 't know i don 't know what you 're missing or what i 'm missing uh what i if if there 's an actual situation where you 're actually intervening into an actual situation and you are being used by God to be present in that situation and say, "Hey, this is this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. When you said this, it meant this to this person. I think that's worthy. I think that's justice work. If it's okay. so and so and so and so who I don't know, and I'm gonna you know uh, I'm gonna use my power or whatever, then uh, I'm gonna ask a few more questions. That's all.
5: So I'm pressing you on this because I think. You have, I think, what you're saying is true, but it's it's so hard for me to tether it into real situations to say, ah, that's the thing Fitch was talking about. That's this is happening there, versus, no, this isn't what Fitch is talking about. This is what it looks like to be present to take a rock for an adulterous woman, right? So, and there's a there's a difference in my mind about how Jesus, um, you know, Jesus opposes evil resists it and he speaks truthfully about people that perpetuate evil but he also uh doesn't i don't think uh ensconce the antagonisms you're talking about and i'm trying to tether that into real life situations for me because i actually do want to act contrary to the popular opinion i do want to act more like jesus um i'm curious christy and ben as you listen to this like what's what questions emerge for you or what are you noticing
1: you know, when you were talking, the thing that kept coming to mind is in those situations in my life, um, if I ask the question, am I doing this because I have to be right, there's something wrong in my heart. I'm not saying that's for you, Matt. I, I'm just saying when I'm standing up because out of I don't love, the, the motivation is different, and I'm not sure I can even articulate um, to somebody else, but I know in my own spirit that there are times where I post something, I say something, I engage in an argument because I I think I'm right and I want to be right. And it has nothing to do with actually like really loving the person and, and trying to show truth and grace in that relationship. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that I notice is that I, um, I do think, uh, we did a whole um, episode about this a while back, but I do think social media complexifies this, right? Because all of our analogies, our hypothetical situations are like, I'm right in the middle of an actual embodied conflict. Social media complexifies this because I think it steers us towards ideology and antagonism because that's good for social media. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the AI has figured out That you know what gets people to stay on Facebook is if they're all riled up with antagonism, (laughs) and so it tends to feed that stuff to us, and it tends to reward us when we act in those ways. So I think that that's just what I'm noticing. I'm not saying it's all irrelevant and it doesn't do any good work. You know, both you, Matt, and and you, Dave, you know, have said like this: there's something helpful about this, and I would agree with that. But I think it's complex because. I, and I don't know what to do about this, but it's complex because, like, it is an ideology machine. It's an antagonism machine. Like, it's it's made for that. They figured out that that's, that's the brain activity that keeps us on Facebook so they can sell us ads. Like, that's how they're making billions of dollars. So, I think that's that's part of it that, that makes all of this stuff complex is because I think when we're talking about this stuff, most of the time we're talking about engagements on social media, Right? Right. Like we don't have these conversations in real life very often.
5: Um, I, I do, uh, less. I mean, I only have them once or twice, and then people shut down. But uh, maybe that's why I need Dave here to tell me how I'm doing it wrong. But I, I do, I do have, I do have these real life conversations too, where, um, um, you know, with my neighbor, and and we talk about who who we voted for, and there's there is there's so many assumptions being made and uh, stories being told that my neighbor is believing about me that I feel like I would have to ratchet up the conflict 800% to unpack just all the, all the things that are wrong. Um, all right, Fitch brass tacks. How does this play out on the ground? Right? So we've talked about politics. We've talked about race and we've talked about gender and sexualities and the various entrenched uh, culture wars that are almost fought around these positions. And I think most of our listeners want to advocate for justice in many of these spaces and places, for instance, church abuse and um, garden variety like racism in America, Um, people who maybe uh, believed all the stories of the religious right growing up and now are realizing, like, some of those guys aren't great. Like, how do we— Stay engaged. Maybe how do you stay engaged locally, knowing the difference between I'm getting sucked into an antagonism here that's unhelpful versus I'm being present in a way that uh, advocates for justice?
2: Um. Well, uh, first of all, uh, am I coming through loud and clear?
5: Here? You are loud and clear. I am
2: loud and clear. Uh, first of all, uh, we really need we really, 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 really need a theology of presence, an understanding of the way God works in the world. You know, here at Northern Seminary, I'll go through Charles Taylor's secular age and the imminent frame and the fact that we don't allow God to work anymore. Uh, We're a bunch of individuals controlling our lives, and... Uh, we don't have a sense of how God works. Uh, once we, and it's everywhere in the Bible, everywhere. Um, all we have to do is preach, uh, teach the Bible and, and for a year on this and every, all the problems will be solved. No, that's that's. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a start though. Um, and then we realize that every situation God is working in and he's socially at work. Okay, so when we did the uh, George after George, George Floyd was murdered, and we did the prayer walk, march downtown, um, and we had an introduction in front of our church. We had maybe three or 400 people from town going to march through town and for, for racial justice in our town because we have racial injustice in our town. Uh, at the beginning there, a little boy, like six years old, raises his hand and says, is the policeman going to hurt me? Is the police? Am I going to get hit by a cop? You know, and and truth happens. Everyone that was around heard it, and the police chief that was there, bow, got on his knee, to, and and said, "No, we're not going to hurt you." And a little unwinding started to happen. There were some African American people in our town. There, they saw the whole thing. The question is, can we invite people now into a space? to unwind what's going on with our police in our town in relation to black persons.
5: Yeah.
2: Uh, My son, I don't, I have a 16 year old son. He's, we didn't, I had some rules about dating and not dating and so far they're not working out too well. Okay. So (laughs) I guess he's, I'm going to take notes here. He's dating a girl who's an African American young lady and they're walking down the street, and a car from one of the more richier suburbs opens the window. High schoolers yells out an expletive uh, n word. Now, here's an opportunity for not only Max and me to get involved, but to go to the parents and say, "What can we do about this? How are we going to engage this conflict?" Can I told. I told my son, take a picture of the license plate. And it's not that we're going to go straight to the cops, but we're going to start a conversation in this town with these people, with what happened. That's going to change. Look, this is what I believe. That'll change my town. That'll change my police department. Mm. That'll change what's going on in that rich suburb. Which there's already an antagonism between the middle, lower middle class suburbs and the rich ones
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, every, every day. So our church has got to realize these situations are live and real. Can we be present in them and unwind what uh, the antagonism for what God wants to do to heal the world? And by the way, I'll add this: people will get saved. <laughs> people will see this. They'll go, "Who is this Jesus? I did not even know this was possible." This is the kind of church and kind of Christianity we need in this culture today. Not more, I want to go uh, pound on another Trump supporter and tell him he's an evil person, all of which may be true.
1: So what I hear you saying, I'm just going to s- sum Sorry, it up. I got a
2: little. I got a That's little. That's good.
1: You just preach on. I like it. Um, what I hear you saying is we got to be present to what is God doing right where we are yes. in our relationships, in our town, in our neighborhood, in our families, and start there. And I think a lot of times we want to have these grandiose things where we're going to change the world, but we forget that we change the world one relationship at a time in in being present to where we are and what's going on right in front of us.
2: I uh, Well said, very well said. And uh, I'll just add this little element to it. This doesn't mean we're not going to change the whole world, yes. <laughs> or I should say, God's not going to change the whole world. You know, there's this Baptist preacher. His name was Tommy Douglas. He was in Saskatchewan, Canada. He was a Baptist pastor, and he sees people without health care, and he sees people who need doctors. And slowly, he strings together a few people, a few doctors here, and he makes it a network possible. Uh, uh, one thing leads to another, and then he's a premier of Saskatchewan. He he they they do out of seeing these these little pockets. They say, we're going to have health care for the whole province. In Canada, they call them provinces. And uh, for you people who don't know. (laughs) Okay. And then, then, you know, they got national health care since the 70s in Canada, and it's it's I think forty percent cheaper than here in the United States, and people still smoke and drink as they ever did up there, and they're living two and a half years longer than the average American. They changed the world. Little Tommy Douglas, Baptist pastor, changed the world, but he started locally, right where he was at.
5: All right, we're running out of time, but I just I got I have to th- I have to play devil's advocate here. Of course, you, you, do. you didn't say that little boy. I don't remember you, if you said he was white or a black boy or. a he was
2: white. Um,
5: okay. Yeah. I'm just imagining if, I'm imagining if he was a black boy and the same thing happened and it was a white police officer and he said, no, I'm not going to hurt you. Um, how am I hearing that story if I'm a black person?
2: Well, I mean. I, I already know.
0: Yeah.
5: Uh,
2: I, there were a, a lot of black persons in that crowd who saw what happened yeah uh i i, I just want to add uh, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble if i go into too many details here uh uh because uh people in our church were involved and in, or not involved or whatever and but but there's much to learn about a theology of presence and and recognizing when god's at work and inviting yes and ma- into a conversation bigger than just what happened on that on that step there, in front of our church,
5: I guess the guess the devil's advocacy would be like um, Israel wasn't delivered out of Egypt by s- Israelites becoming reconciled to the Egyptians, and um, there, there's a systemic or structural part of what we're talking about. That I don't have confidence that individual reconciliation and presence is sufficient to heal.
2: Oh, well, this is what you evangelicals always do. <laughs> yeah, this
5: is such a <laughs> bitch move, right? here.
2: <laughs> this is what you evangelicals just always do. You, 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 it, you, you. It's either individual or social, individual or systemic. They are. One in, uh, By the way, uh, read the first 400 pages of Pauline Dogmatics by Doug Campbell.
5: <laughs> Which, by the and, way, you texted me and you're like, this is garbage. And then you text me like 200 pages later and you're like, this book's amazing. Forget what <laughs> I said.
2: <laughs> probably texted you 200 at the end and said, this is garbage. Douglas Campbell, uh, I love the book, although there are a few things. That I would do differently. But that's beside the point. That's all about the kingdom and, and, and disagreement and having conflict and good <laughs> things happen. But anyways, all this to say, uh, let us not um, uh, make what happened on the front steps of our church building between the young boy and the police chief an individual relational thing. It's a social, it's a manifestation of a social dynamic that came out and was revealed. And all of my African American brothers and sisters at, around the steps, they were going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. What's going to happen now? What is, uh, we actually had uh, a, a black pastor. Uh, with us as well from the neighborhood. And uh, the question is, what are, where are we going to go with this? It's a social systemic thing. And and by the way, this is, sorry to go off on this, but if you're a post-structuralist like me, there is no individual. We are all being formed by our social systems and our social formations. Yeah. So what we just saw was the uh, uh, manifestation of the reality of a social system and an entryway for God to... Break it down, disrupt, and heal.
5: Yeah, and then the second example about your son uh, named Elmer, but you have to call him Max. Uh, he's by the way, no
2: one knows he's no one knows he's named Elmer except me. Now the think now, now Elmer, the whole he's world. He's not knows. really happy with the name <laughs> Elmer, although right. okay. Anyways, go ahead. It's my All name right. too, and my grandfather's name. By the way, folks. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he he's with his uh, African American girlfriend. She gets called a slur, a racial slur. Um. I'm listening to this, trying to inhabit if I was her mother, and thinking about yeah let's let's bring let's bring the community into this let's talk let's talk about this, and and like Max and his dad experience the weight and the cost of that conversation entirely differently than Max's girlfriend. So, like, to put it as, like, uh, as baldly and plainly as I can for the sake of time, um, I can hear a black woman saying, David, your presence costs this girl way more than it costs you. And is is it fair to handle it that way? Because you're bringing her into this negotiation where there's power and gender and you know, generational trauma at work to unwind something that maybe she's not equipped to do?
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, okay, so I I told you kind of a little snippet of the story at at the start, but but what you have revealed is the intensely relational dynamics that we must engage to be present. And by the way, one of my uh, uh, folks out there, I'm not a young man. I'm an old white dude.
5: You look really good, though, man. I'm just telling you. You're looking... (laughs) I mean, today, this is a good, you got sort of the George All right, P. All right, all right, all uh-huh. right,
2: enough, enough. We, uh, the podcast <laughs> is coming to a close. I want to make a point here that I have a deeply uh, uh, wound up habit of A, thinking I'm a white man and I can go in and change things and take control. And what Matt Tebby just did was, he just reminded me, dude, you're doing it again. You're doing it again, okay? And what it, what it says is, is I got to listen, and I and I got to teach my son how to listen. Um, I don't, uh, I, I am not always ready to say white people can add, uh, there's power issues that actually exasperate when a white person gets involved, mainly because we are deeply ensconced in hierarchical white privilege. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I hear a lot of people say, well, use your white power for good. Actually, uh, I think the problem is the white power.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Yes.
2: So maybe I should just step back and be present, listen, and cooperate. So uh, amen to what you just said. I, I, I think I—
5: I see what you're you. saying. This is fascinating. I love it. I uh, We always learn a lot when you come on the podcast. David, before you go, thanks for letting me push on you. I feel like— There's so much more to fill out an imagination. How do I have a conscience that desires to be present in a way that decenters my whiteness and also advocates for people who are the most marginalized and hurt? And how do I do that in a way that doesn't use white power to try to dismantle it? And that, that would be the antagonism thing you're talking about. And I think we need imaginations, stories that populate imaginations so we can develop the wisdom you're talking about because this isn't a 13 uh, step process to be present you have to have the wisdom to discern and the community that can bear that wisdom uh, so thanks for helping like I think I think in the in the tussle here we're we're sussing out what we need what we need um real quick what we need from you is you just wrote a book man yeah another one? You want to tell us, like, 30 seconds about that?
2: Yeah, it's just, what is the church? It's asking us to—it's a short little 20,000-word book on what, the what, the why, and the how. It's basically asking us, uh, leading us to ask those questions. What is the church? Why are we even doing this? And if we can get that far, how do we do it? And I'm asking people to sort through those questions all over again. What is the church? Harold Press, David E. Fitch— And you can get it on Amazon.com.
4: Yes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time